Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are and whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate you joining me, giving me a little bit of your time, spending part of your day here. Hope you get something out of it, hope you enjoy it. Hopefully, I always feel kind of bad folks saying enjoy it because we're talking about hard things, harsh things, realities often. But it is encouraging to see what's gone before us, to see how those who have gone before us in these dark times have handled things. And we learned some lessons, too, of things to do and things not to do. We're going to see some of that today. Home front is cold, quiet. Most of the leaves have fallen. There's a few trees Stragglers still holding on. The pecan trees are all bare, for sure. And we have a blanket of leaves outside. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the time to record this podcast, the people that listen to it, share it. God them, be with them. Bless them. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Forgive us when we turn away from you and turn toward the world. Forgive us our pride and vanity and arrogance and thinking that we don't need you. And forgive us our selfishness and ignoring the needs of others that we can meet. Give us strength and courage and wisdom, both for today and for the days to come. Be with those in harm's way. Bring them home safe. And God, my words here, Father, please. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. <laughs> we got a doozy. I don't think I've read this before on the podcast. Uh, and that's a failing of my own. More than anybody else. I've always kind of, not always, but over the last couple of years, I've kind of envisioned these podcasts is kind of little fireside chats. And of course that goes back to FDR and his fireside chats. And so it's only fitting that we talk about one of those. And it's probably going to take us a few days to get through. And this is the fireside chat from December the 24th, 1943. 
My friends, I have recently returned from extensive journeyings in the region of the Mediterranean and as far as the borders of Russia. I have conferred with the leaders of Britain and Russia and China on military matters of the present, especially on plans for stepping up our successful attack on our enemies as quickly as possible and from many different points of the compass. On this Christmas Eve, there are over 10 million men in the armed forces of the United States alone. One year ago, 1,700,000 were serving overseas. Today, the figure has more than doubled to 3,800,000 on duty overseas. By next July 1st, that number overseas will rise to almost 5 million men and women. I must stop and talk every once in a while, folks, during this. One of the things that you'll notice about World War II, if you don't know it already, is the extent to which we were involved as a nation, the percentage of the population. I mean, just the raw numbers are astronomical compared to what we do today. And, and that had the effect of making the war very personal to a large percentage of people. And, and today we don't have that connection. There's a lot of people that don't have anyone personally in the military or don't even know anyone personally in the military. And that allows you to be detached from the, the suffering and the pain and the heartache that goes along hand in hand with war. It's really, folks, a, a, a much lesser analogy, although you can say that the evil accomplished by it is probably just as great, is the fact that you have citizens in America who don't pay any overall taxes into the treasury and yet still get to vote on how to spend those taxes. So they don't have any skin in the game. It doesn't matter to them how the money's spent because it's not theirs to begin with. They're spending somebody else's money. So when people are suffering, those that pay taxes, when they feel that pain, uh, when it causes them not to be able to provide certain things from their family, um, and, and just really keeps them from helping the next generation of their family improve their situation in life. And those people that don't pay taxes, they don't feel any pain. They don't care. They have no, no shared, well, skin in the game. Again, there's no, no concern of there's no fate. I can't figure out how to say it today. I think you understand. And so, when we have a large population that, that doesn't have any tie to our military and we go and get into a war somewhere, there's no empathy or sympathy really there, or very little. Uh, and that's really, really dangerous. It's probably a pretty good indication of why we treat our veterans today so poorly, why we have so many who are committing suicide 
why we have so many families and marriages that are breaking apart because we've just pushed these men to the absolute limit with deployments. And we don't even realize it, most of us. That this is truly a world war was demonstrated to me when arrangements were being made with our overseas broadcasting agencies for the time to speak today to our soldiers, sailors, marines, and merchant seamen in every part of the world. In fixing the time for this broadcast, we took into consideration that at this moment here in the United States and in the Caribbean and on the northeast coast of South America, it is afternoon. In Alaska and in Hawaii and in the mid-Pacific, it is still morning. In Iceland and Great Britain and North Africa and Italy and the Middle East, it is now evening. In the Southwest Pacific and Australia and China and Burma and India, it is already Christmas Day. So we can correctly say that at this moment, in those far eastern parts where Americans are fighting, today is tomorrow. But everywhere throughout the world, throughout this war that covers the world, there is a special spirit that has warmed our hearts since our earliest childhood. A spirit that brings us close to our homes, our families, our friends, and neighbors. The Christmas spirit of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It is an unquenchable spirit. During the past years of international gangsterism and brutal aggression in Europe and Asia, our Christmas celebrations have been darkened with apprehension for the future. We have said Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, but we have known in our hearts that the clouds which have hung over our world have prevented us from saying it with full sincerity and conviction. And even this year we still have much to face in the way of further suffering and sacrifice and personal tragedy. Our men who have been through the fierce battles in the Solomons, the Gilberts, Tunisia, and Italy, know from their own experience and knowledge of modern war that many bigger and costlier battles are still to be fought. But on Christmas Eve this year, I can say to you that at last we may look forward into the future with real substantial confidence that however great the cost, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, can be and will be realized and ensured. This year I can say that. Last year I could not do more than express a hope. Today I express a certainty, though the cost may be high and the time may be long. Within the past year, within the past few weeks, history has been made, and it is far better history for the whole human race than any that we have known or even dared to hope for in these tragic times through which we pass. There's a couple of huge points in this little bit, folks. Uh, the biggest one is the spirit of Christmas. It's all well and good to talk about Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus and Rudolph and presents under the tree and Christmas lights and stores and family and everything else. But if you take God and Jesus Christ out of the center of Christmas, if you don't acknowledge that that spirit which has bound our nation together is the spirit of Christ and the fact that our common core values have been centered on Christ since our founding, 
then you get what we're getting today. We don't have that today. I can't even imagine the chaos that would ensue if we had to try and fight World War II today. Not because we're inherently weaker or dumber, but because we have separated ourselves from God. We don't have this shared Christmas spirit anymore as a nation. And it's one of the things that is, is going to lead to one of those two paths. It's either going to lead to a civil war or it's going to lead to continue down this path to socialism, communism, leftism, Nazism, fascism. I mean, it ties right into World War II. We're going down the same path. It's interesting. FDR in this fireside chat is going to talk about and praise uh, both China and Russia, particularly Stalin. Uh, and at this point, you have to remember that we were desperate, desperate for any kind of allies fighting uh, Hitler and Italy and Japan. Uh, and so we made a pact, you can really easily say, with the devil, with communism and socialism, with atheism, with uh, the rejection of God. And, you know, it helped us to win that war. You can make that argument easily. Uh, but what it cost. Look at where we are today. You know, so uh, we'll talk about that as it comes up. But the other thing in here that's really important is is the knowledge that our country had of, of how much was going to be required during this war still yet to come. Even though we felt confident in winning now, they knew. And, and if we get into a civil war, folks, which I've made no secret of, I think that's the direction we're going. You have to realize it's not going to be short and it's not going to be cheap and it's not going to be romantic you really want to talk to somebody about not romantic talk to some of those families in Israel right now or find some veterans if you don't know any and talk to them about Fallujah or some of these events or find some World War II vets or Vietnam or Korea and ask them how romantic war is and then Try and just try and get your brain wrapped around a civil war. And you think, well, good Lord, we ought to avoid that at all costs then, right? Okay, well, then think about what the alternative. The other alternative is to continue down this path towards socialism, communism, leftism, Nazism, fascism. And then you go and you count the hundreds of millions, folks, not a million, which would be bad enough, not 10 million, which is hard to even grasp, or 50 or 60, hundreds of millions in the 20th century alone, really in just part of the 20th century, that were slaughtered under those regimes. A civil war would be horrific beyond our comprehension, but the other alternative would be horrific even beyond that. It's exponentially worse if America turns toward socialism, communism, leftism. And, and the stuff out of our education system today over the last few weeks is not encouraging at all. A great beginning was made in the Moscow conference last October by Mr. Molotov, Mr. Eden, and our own Mr. Hull. There and then the way was paved for the later meetings. At Cairo and Tehran, we devoted ourselves not only to military matters, we devoted ourselves also to consideration of the future to plans for the kind of world which alone can justify all the sacrifices of this war. 
There's a lot there, folks, just in that sentence. We get into a civil war and we get out of it. We need to make sure that we make some changes that make America better, more stable, and defend against the encroachment and the evil that we see in the godless values of the left today. Of course, as you all know, Mr. Churchill and I have happily met many times before, and we know and understand each other very well. Indeed, Mr. Churchill has become known and beloved by many millions of Americans, and the heartfelt prayers of all of us have been with this great citizen of the world in his recent serious illness. The Cairo and Tehran conferences, however, gave me my first opportunity to meet the Generalissimo, Generalissimo, Chiang Kai-shek, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, folks, I apologize, and Marshal Stalin, and to sit down at the table with these unconquerable men and talk with them face to face. We had planned to talk to each other across the table at Cairo and Tehran, but we soon found that we were all on the same side of the table. We came to the conferences with faith in each other, but we needed the personal contact, and now we have supplemented faith with definite knowledge. It is well worth traveling thousands of miles over land and sea to bring about this personal meeting, and to gain the hearting assurance that we are absolutely agreed with one another on all the major objectives and on the military means of attaining them. At Cairo, Prime Minister Churchill and I spent four days with the Generalissimo, Chiang Kai-shek. It was the first time that we had an opportunity to go over the complex situation in the Far East with him personally. We were able to discuss not only the, not only settle upon definite military strategy, but also to discuss certain long-range principles, which we can believe can assure peace in the Far East for many generations to come. Those principles are as simple as they are fundamental. They involve the restoration of stolen property to its rightful owners, and the recognition of rights of millions of people in the Far East to build up their own forms of self-government without molestation. Essential to all peace and security in the Pacific and of the rest of the world is the permanent elimination of the Empire of Japan as a potential force of aggression. Never again must our soldiers and sailors and Marines and other soldiers, sailors, and Marines be compelled to fight from island to island as they are fighting so gallantly and so successfully today. See how much time we got left. We got a little bit left. We'll finish this page, folks, maybe. Increasingly powerful forces are now hammering at the Japanese at many points over an enormous arc which curves down through the Pacific from the Aleutians to the jungles of Burma. Our own army and navy and air forces, the Australians and New Zealanders, the Dutch and the British land, air and sea forces are all forming a band of steel which is slowly but surely closing in on Japan. On the mainland of Asia, under the Generalissimo's leadership, the Chinese ground and air forces augmented by American air forces are playing a vital role in starting the drive which will push the invaders into the sea. Following out the military decisions at Cairo, General Marshall has just flown around the world and has had conferences with General MacArthur and Admiral Nimitz, conferences which will spell plenty of bad news for the Japs in the not-too-far-distant future. I met with the Generalissimo a man of great vision, great courage, and a remarkably keen understanding of the problems of today and tomorrow. We discussed all the manifold military plans for striking at Japan with decisive force from, from many directions, 
and I believe I can say that he returned to Chongqing with a positive assurance of total victory over our common enemy. Today, we and the Republic of China are closer together than ever before in deep friendship and in unity of purpose. Yeah, we'll have to stop there for today, folks. Interesting, isn't it? Unity and, and purpose, and yet you look at us today. Of course, that was before the cultural revolution of Mao and the slaughter of tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Chinese under communism. Which gives you a pretty good indication, folks. World War II was so horrible, and yet you look at what Mao did to his own people, and it dwarfed World War II just in one country. God bless y'all, folks. God bless your families. God bless America. God bless your marriages. We'll talk to y'all again real soon. Looking forward to it.